Hello, it's episode 28 of the Miller's Game Room podcast. I'm Miller, I'm going to talk about things again, the usual. Uh, if anyone, well, wants to support the podcast, etc. Liking, commenting, subscribing, algorithm boosting stuff, etc. Five star reviews, you know, the usual. Uh, yeah, this is number 28, as I just said. And very close to 100 subs on my main channel. So, uh, yeah, hitting some big milestones here. So, uh... Thank you very much for sticking around. Uh, other things, um, first off, well, I uploaded a video last week saying that playing vision novels on both console and PC is the best. Um, that's something that's out there still, so you want to watch it, check it out. Um, other things, uh, YouTube community features, I've now got them on the channel, so I'm going to be starting to use that and posting about videos. Is from what I hear, people, if they want to like have the have notifications they're more likely to see you've posted videos by using the community tab instead of just sharing it so that's going to be a new thing for the channel going forward and maybe some other things as well i'm going to think about it because i've not i've not really got the hang of it yet so yeah i wish youtube offered them to first new people when like people first start channels i get them straight away instead of having to wait a bit but you know, it's taken over a year for me to get to this point, so you know, that's good. And it's all worth it. Um, other thing as well is, uh, well, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the news about Twitter and Elon Musk. Um, it's not going to be discussed in the podcast as gaming news because it's not gaming news, but basically, Musk is clean their website because billionaires, when they uh, have money and power, they can buy and do things. And do almost whatever they want in a lot of circumstances. Even if it completely destroys what they're working on. And that's happening with Twitter. And what it does mean is things like content moderation, accessibility, and that's going out the window. Advertisers are pulling out. So it's only a matter of time before the site like shuts down. So um, I've been thinking about what to do to like broaden out and move media content elsewhere. And having community tab helps a lot with that. But... I'm thinking about looking to possibly opening a gaming Insta, but if anyone's got any thoughts, let me know, because I'm not really too familiar with all this stuff. Anyway, um, and finally, for more positive news, I have a video coming up on the first Utah Romano game. That's coming out, well, later this week, because Monochrome Mobius is also coming out in, well, in Japan for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and PC, and worldwide for PC, for some reason. But, you know, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to ramble too much about that specific thing because I've got something about Monochromobius in the news section. So, yeah, this uh, video is going up later this week for Prelude, which is what is going to be the video. So, yeah, look forward to that. Now, starting with the gaming news. First thing is about Cuddly Forest Friends from uh, Nippon Columbia and Axis Games. This was dated for the 2nd of February next year. Um, well, it's a cozy animal game. It's like a cute little like pet sim with some mini games. It looks really cute. Uh, first print copies include an exclusive set of vinyl stickers that have all nine characters from the game. So nice little first print bonus there. Probably was the same as in Japan because Nippon Columbia don't do limited editions. So you know and with nippon columbia games they're quite easy and cheap seemingly because they keep doing them and they're also like so cute as well and yeah um hopefully cuddly forest friends turns out to be great because it looks really cute and something i'd enjoy as well 
And also, Tales of Symphonia Remastered has been dated for the 16th February next year as well. Well, in Japan that's coming out, but it's coming out a day later worldwide. Um, if you've played RPGs, you'll know what this game is. I have not played Tales of Symphonia, but I know what it is. Um, obviously, like it's the most, one of the most popular Tales games. And for me, I'm debating whether I want to get this remaster, because the remastered version is getting some limited goods physically, like a steelbook or something like that. Or I'm debating to get that, or to track down a copy of the GameCube original, because apparently with Tales Symphonia, the GameCube version runs the best because it well was basically like 60 FPS. And then with the game, it got ported to the PlayStation 2, only in Japan, but it was blocked at 30 FPS. And then Matt's PS2 version was used as the base for all the future ports, so the likes of PS3, PC, and now these new releases, but you know... I'm I'm not sure, I'm on the fence, it'll cost the same, and plus having another retro RPG for the collection would be really cool, but um, I'll decide. I'm going to play it one of these days, because it is, well, a Tales game, and it's an RPG, and it's a well-known RPG, so that was kind of weird, wasn't it? Anyway, that's going to be a possibility for the future, I will probably play it next year at some point, what platform it's on, I don't know, but it's there. Anyway... Next up's a bit of Falcom stuff. Uh, Falcom, they basically announced for the next East game, most likely ESX, will be launching for the PS5, the PS4, and for Nintendo Switch, day and date, I'm guessing, by the 30th of September next year in Japan. And it's really cool that it's going to be multi-platform for the Switch. And the fact that Falcom are most likely doing this in-house now, because they did uh, Neyuta no Kazeki, Kai, they did that as a port from the PS4, they ported that to the Switch themselves, so that's out in Japan, and that's the base port that's going to be out in the West, I believe, and it's really good that that's happening. They also confirmed that they're planning to release three titles for Switch in Japan in the next fiscal year, um, I'm guessing that means by 2024 or 2023, I don't know, because, well... It's the fiscal year is different from the usual years, so it's kind of like, kind of different really. But I'm not really 100% sure on that, so... Um, one of these titles is the next East game that I just mentioned. And the other two haven't been revealed. A lot of people believe they're going to be ports of the Kuro no Kazeki game, so we've got two Kuro games that are out in Japan for PlayStation consoles. Which is Kuro no Kazeki 1 and 2. Um... They've not been announced for the West, even though NICE has basically already picked them up because they DMCA'd the Zero Field translation, so they are coming at some point, because that's made it obvious. But I'm kind of hoping they're not ports of Kuro no Kazeki 1 and 2, and instead they're ports of the first two Trails in the Sky games, because you really do need to get the, the, the older Trails games on modern platforms. Like it, It's ridiculous that this series has grown so big as it has. But a lot of the earlier games, well, like while they were really risky to localize back then and have a very long and turbulent history, which I'm not going into here, but there's a lot of info out on it. And now you can't play the, the, mod, the Trails in the Sky games on modern platforms. Like you can even play Crossbell on modern platforms now because of the, the re-releases. And it's just like, whereas now it's just like, oh god, it's just like you can't even play it. And, Sorry, I mean, I'm sorry, it's distracting because I don't know if you can hear this on the recording, but 
my neighbour, if I think well, someone there's had a baby and right now they're really crying a lot and it's really distracting. So I might have to record this later, but I'll try to keep going. So I just lost track of what I was saying, but I think I basically summed up what I was saying anyway. So if there's any awkward cuts in this, that's why baby crying and I can't do anything about it. But, you know, that's the life of housing, I suppose. Anyway, um, moving on to the next bit about Bloomberg and Jason Schreier's latest revelations. So... They reported that the Embracer Group, which is the, the whole, like, THQ Nordic company, and, well, parent company of THQ Nordic, Deep Silver, limited-run games, and a ton of other things, they shut down Anoma, otherwise known as Square Enix Montreal, like, one month after rebranding it. Um, this is after Embracer acquired, like, the stuff from Square Enix, so Square Enix Montreal, IDOS Montreal, and a bunch of IPs. And apparently it's a cost-saving initiative. In other words, they don't want to spend money on keeping people going in this company and paying for these jobs, so they're letting people go. That's basically why, to save save money for the company and not caring about the workers. So, they're gone, and it feels kind of a bit pointless shutting them down after rebranding, but it's ridiculous. Like, you spent all this money and time rebranding to Anoma from Square Enix Montreal, which is understandable to a point because you can't really have a company owned by Embracer Group saying oh no we've still got Square Enix in our name so we're Square Enix Montreal even though we're owned by uh, Embracer Group and part of this other subsidiary and all this complex structure and yeah and they and they also provided some tidbits on what they were working on so IDOS Montreal will reduce the scope of an unannounced project and cancel another game which is like a Stranger Things inspired like quote-unquote kids on bikes game which is sounds interesting and they're said to be currently working on a new ip a deus ex game which is very early in development so in other words nothing will be said about that for a few years at least and co-development partnerships such as with xbox on the new fable game from playground games which um yeah they're quite busy and even they're owned by like the embracer group so they're doing that which is cool so it's really good to see that but yeah it's still fucking shit for the staff that were just let go and some of them were moved to idos montreal i believe but some were let go but it's just it's just a fucking mess really like should just kept the company open really they made like likes of i like lara croft go hitman go they actually made from what i understand good mobile games that even were good when they were converted to console games which um we do need more of that actual like if you're gonna make mobile games don't have this predatory microtransaction gacha bullshit have actual games that you only pay once upfront for or something the way it doesn't rely on creating gambling addictions to make money so now on to the next thing as I mentioned at the start, we're going to have some discussion on Monochrome Mobius. Rights and wrongs forgotten because the demo came out in Japan for PS5 and PS4 back on the 2nd of November, which is, well, a while ago, actually. In fact, just before the last episode went up, or... No, actually, the news came out before the last episode went up, but after I'd already recorded and edited it, and then it went up, and there were issues with it, so... It's gone up. It's not available for PC, and I think it's easy to see why. Because first off, it looked okay in races. Like they, it looked like what you'd expect from a visual novel company who's done their like 
second attempt at producing an RPG. Now, I say second because what a lot of people won't know about Aquaplus is the last time they did an action RPG like this that was meant to be open-ended was a exclusive game for Japan called Tenereza. And this game was actually for the original Xbox as well as PC. And that's why no one heard of it. And that's why it probably didn't do very well because, well, it was an Xbox game that only released in Japan. And it was made at a very turbulent time for Leaf when they were trying to experiment with a lot of things. They, they even did like running car garages and a portable game console as well as even like other like PC games as well it's a very interesting time in their history and it's only now like years later that now VHD generation is normal but they've now tried again with this new like spin-off game in the Utah Warmano series it's basically in between the first game Prelude and the second game Deception in terms of story even though it's not like called Utah Warmano in its name but yeah um and then you kind of see this, that it, there are issues like there's a mo- usage of motion blur when you move around. It's just basically, it can get really overwhelming to look at. And it's, it's been compared to Final Fantasy Type-0, and in that game that was criticised, I believe, and was patched out. But with this game, it's still there. And yeah. And the other thing is that when you look at the character models... Um, the, the actual characters you play as, they look pretty good. But when you look to the character environments and like the towns and stuff, they they don't look very good. They basically look like clay puppets with no like facial features and very blocky. In fact, they actually look closer to the likes of previous gen games like Tenereza. And it doesn't really fit like... It can be good to do that sometimes if you're doing it as a stylistic choice because another game that comes to mind that did something similar is Tokyo Mirage Sessions. With that game, if you go in like Tokyo, aside from the character you talk to, the people around you are represented by coloured like outlines of humans, if that makes sense. Like all different colours like pink and blue and yellow. And in that case it actually fits because that game is very like cartoony, very anime, very like very vibrant and colourful and that actually fits it really well but with Monochromobius it's more realistic and more gritty it's a bit more serious and it just doesn't fit it looks really bad it's kind of like a bit of a clash in terms of the styles it's it doesn't look very good and it's something that needs to be fixed basically um as I said before there's no demo for the PC release but there will be a launch discount um, I'm kind of glad it's not coming to consoles in English in a way at the moment because it is a bit of a mess with this. And I do think Monochromobius will come west for consoles. I think it's probably a combination of not having a Western console publisher because, again, well, NIS America are doing a ton of Falcom stuff and Atlas don't do third party games anymore. So we probably couldn't get it signed with either of those companies. And the other thing is they're probably going to do what a lot of Japanese devs do and have a late Switch port release as well. Because companies that don't fully embrace the Switch kind of realise that if they don't do these ports day one, they're going to lose out on a lot of sales. So they end up doing them later. So they tend not to do as well on Switch. Whereas in the West, they buy more stuff on Switch as well. So take it with someone who's got a massive Switch collection in comparison to a lot of people. Well, not like hundreds of games, but enough so that... I've got like 50 plus games, which is about 50 plus, something like that. 
it's a larger collection. It's larger than a lot of people's Switch collections, but still, like, still big for someone into the console, but, like, it's even... But with a lot of people, like, they, they buy games on Switch instead of other games. Like, my PS4 collection, in comparison, is, like, in, like, five or six games. And one of those is Utah Warimano Prelude to the Fallen, but largely because I got bored of waiting for a Switch port. Yeah, I'm going to keep digging out Plus for not porting their games to the Switch properly. Which is also ironic, because the one Switch game they did port, which was Dock Upon Up, the Mukin No Roulette game, that got fan-translated, and that was largely possible because it was on the Switch. And because the Switch has already been hacked and can easily be emulated, at this point, for anyone with a decent PC, that's what allowed the translation to happen. And that's one of the only games that have been fan-translated to date. And yeah, I'm going really off track, but can you tell I'm really passionate for Acroplus? Can you? Can you? I can. You can, hopefully. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, well, take it for someone who likes what happened too, and he's done multiple videos on Acapulse games. Anyway, I'm not going really off track. Now for the big, like, main discussion, aside from Monochromobius, which went on for much longer than I'd expected. Uh, Nintendo, they did their financial reports and stuff, the usual stuff, which is, well, we come to expect it a few times a year, and it's interesting seeing what they talk about. So first one. Switch sales figures, which I kind of alluded to in the Monomobi section, uh, lots of people buy stuff on Switch, and Switch consoles have now passed the sales of 114.33 million as of the 30th of September. So that's a ton, and it'll probably be at least 120 by well, the end of the year, because it is the Christmas season, and people will buy, and there's still things like the Pokemon games to come out, all the third-party stuff, there's been Mario Plus Rabbid Sparks of Hope came out recently, and a whole bunch of games from first and third parties, Bayonet 3 as well, and a fucking ton of games, and like, people are still buying Switch games, and these consoles are selling, and apparently it's not too far off the PS4 now, which um, I think is quite possible that it will beat that, probably go up to the DS and PlayStation 2 as well, so that's really good to see. In terms of sales figures for new releases, they revealed that Splatoon 3 sales were 7.9 million, which is a lot for that. Zelda Bay Chronicles 3 as 1.72 million, which apparently is not as much as Zelda Bay 2, but in terms of sales is like really good. I mean, I'm glad to like 1.72 million for a great game. It's fantastic. So hopefully it's 1.27 million happy owners. But, you know, it's it's fantastic. I'm glad to see Xenoblade 3 selling well. It deserves it. It's probably, like, one of the best games of the year. I know people, a lot of people in the mainstream are going to go, oh, Elden Ring's the best, or God of War Ragnarok's the best, which I've not played either of those. They look great, but um, I'm not really super into, like, Souls games and God of War I'm kind of interested in, but I'm not playing those, so my game will probably end up being Xenoblade 3 terms of official releases anyway uh but i'm really glad to see that and another sales figure news which isn't directly from nintendo but animal crossing new horizons is considered to be japan's best-selling game of all time according to like game data library and now they say that new horizons has now sold 10.45 million copies in japan surpassing the long-time record 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 what the fuck Record held by original Game Boy titles Pokemon like Red and Green, which have 10.23 million, which um that's really cool. That game also deserves it. And Animal Crossing, that particular game came out of the height of the 2020 pandemic when that started, 
anti-civil going by the way so a lot of people basically were at home during lockdowns and they bought it and played it and that's what really caused that game to really sell well and even though at this point people have largely moved on from the game because well nintendo stopped releasing content for it and there is a mod scene which nintendo are still trying to undermine by taking down videos showing it off there still will be that scene and it will continue and it's good that that game is getting the exposure and the reach it deserves because it's a great game other things from their investor presentation uh, they're considering opening more Nintendo stores overseas, so they've got one in, I believe one in Tokyo, in New York, and another in Osaka, and yeah, they should absolutely do it, because, well, we can't all get to New York or Japan to go to these stores, and for what I've seen from the, like, footage of what other people have been saying, I've been to these stores, I've taken photos and stuff, they're great, and they look like somewhere I'd enjoy, um, in terms of locations for stores, um, I think they should focus on Europe first, because in Europe we don't have any stores at all. They'll probably want to open one in London, but I'm hoping they don't, because in the UK this country is far too centralised around London, so release it somewhere else, maybe in uh, Manchester, or Glasgow, or even in Ireland, like Dublin, and maybe even like in terms of other stores, definitely get one out in Europe as well. I guess if they do one in, in Europe on the mainland, it will most likely be in Germany. Maybe even in Frankfurt, because that's where Nintendo of Europe is headquartered. Um, but really much, it'll be fine. Like, Europe, maybe one in France as well. Maybe in Spain. Just get them all in the major countries, basically. The major gaming zones, that'd be so cool. And in terms of outside of Europe, I'd say somewhere in Southeast Asia. Maybe like Singapore. Maybe one in China as well. Maybe get one in Australia as well. Maybe in Sydney or Melbourne or New Zealand. And in, in the Americas, um, I'd say one in Canada. Maybe in like Toronto or that area and Los Angeles. And maybe in South America as well. I know Nintendo's had a bit of a sparse and patched history of actually supporting South America properly. But getting a store open there would be really cool. Um, I would say, I'm not sure where else we'd go, because I know the other countries like Africa and Middle East, I would be, I would feel there. Uh, I'm not sure where would be best for those, because of the political instability that happens in a lot of these regions, but they could probably find something, but, you know, they should be all over the world. Maybe not necessarily like a massive franchise chain like Disney do, but enough so that people can get them in a reasonable time frame. So, that's going to be interesting to look into. And gonna, you know, that's really cool, and I hope that happens. Other things, they revealed that the biggest use of Switch are 20 to 30 volts, which is not surprising because a lot of people my age, and I'm in that demographic, do have a Switch and do use the Switch. So I'm not surprised at all, and a lot of people do think it most Switch users are children, which um, I can kind of see why people would think that, but that's not the case. Uh, they're also planning a joint venture company with DNA, which is the company like that manages their like infrastructure for the online, and it's something to do with that. I'm not sure on the specifics, but that's a thing. And they've worked with DNA for years, like the mobile games and stuff as well. And now for something related to Nintendo that's uh, funny, and not directly like related to the investor thing, 
But because of the whole thing with Twitter, they got impersonated by a troll, thanks to the uh, the terrible rebranded verified scheme, which is basically if you pay eight dollars, you can have a tick next to your name, and you can look like a legitimate account. So you could change your name and profile pic, and become the 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 illusion that you are a legitimate company. And some people used it to troll. There were some really messed up ones as well, like. Well, there were other examples, but I'm not going to those because some of them can be triggering, but very much... Uh... Oh, there was one with Eli Lilly, actually, where they lost value because they were like... The troll account was like, I'm sorry, but insulin... We're making insulin free now. And then it was like... If he actually really went... We were written to inform you that, no, insulin is not free, basically. And it was a fake account. That's basically what they were doing, but it was still pretty, like... That one actually caused them to lose value, which said a lot about the predatory nature of capitalist megacorps that price gouge insulin. But that aside, I know I said I wouldn't go into it, but that's the example I could think of. That was the least triggering, because there were some other messed up ones, like one with Tony Blair. But for one with Nintendo, it was basically a photoshopped editor Mario sticking their middle finger up. So it was basically like Nintendo of America with a picture of Mario going, fuck off. And it's like, it was actually quite funny. Especially because someone replied to them saying that Mario doesn't do that. And he's like, the troll account replied back, oh, well, he did. And it was funny. Goss is better than like two hours. But yeah, that's the kind of thing that is killing Twitter because advertisers are not going to want to use a website where they can get impersonated really easily and then have troll accounts literally take value off their companies. They're just not going to do that. And yeah, it was a good laugh. That was funny. And now for something semi-funny. And, well, I say semi-funny, but it's still related because it's funny. And a fan translation for The Made Uniform and Machine Gun. Uh, it got a fan translation very recently. Very bizarre uh, action game. It's part of the Simple series. And it's a, like, shoot up where you are a maid with a machine gun. And you go around and shoot things. And you solve tasks. It looks interesting. I might give it a try. But I don't know where now be. But, you know, it looks cool. But, yeah, I'm going to leave a link to the, the patch in the description because, again, I like to talk about fan patches on Miller's Game Room because I'm very much in support of, like, fans going back and localising these old games that publishers just won't touch officially. Because even though we're getting more remasters than, than ever, in reality, a lot of these older games are just never going to get official localizations. And supporting fans is the best way to deal with that. So... That's really good that fans are doing this. So, you know, support fans who translate stuff. Now the vision novel section, which um, has a couple of noteworthy things, as well as the big, like, Spike Chunsoft news, which I'll get on to. Uh, first off is from Prototype. They announced that Grisaia Phantom Trigger Volume 7 and 8 are coming to Switch. Um, this, volume 7 is coming out next month in December, and Volume 8, which is the last chapter, is coming out in February. And, yeah, I mean, I'm glad these are coming out because they've been doing these ports of the Phantom Trigger series for a while. So now they're coming out and that series will come to a close. It will open the door for them to do new projects. And in terms of Frontwing, they don't actually have many titles left from them. Unless they decide to port some of the PC stuff like Corona Blossom and Perino Party and other things that look a bit shit. The other games they could port is uh, Hatsumira, which came out on PC in 
English early this year. It's, well, basically an isekai game. And it's very rare you see isekai at the end. And I think that'd be cool if that got a Switch port. It got ports on PS4 and Vita, only in Japanese, obviously. But the fact that I hope that happens. And also Humoroi for Sunflower, which is another game that well, Frontwing worked on with a Dojin Circle blank note. And it's kind of weird because the Vita remake was backported to PC and that got officially localized. But there is an issue with that port. It's not the best port. And I have the game. I wanted to play it for years, but it's a bad port and I don't want to play VNs full screen because I fucking hate playing VNs on full screen on a PC. If I want to play something full screen, I'll play on a console. Especially because on PC, if you have it full screen, the, the image is often stretched out so the art doesn't look as good. So I want to play it properly cropped and not have to mess around with unofficial shit. So a Switch port of that would be really nice. Especially because, again, like Prototype like, did work on the Vita port originally, which is basically like a remake of the game, which uh, I don't want to play it because it is a classic in the genre. So that's something else I want to see from Prototype, from Frontwing in particular. Um, there's not much else they could do inside from, like, well, Key, they can't do much for Key now, unless they start translating stuff. The only one they could do that has been, like, localised, but they haven't done yet is Rewrite Plus. And probably, um, let's say they decided to do things like Cud Wafter or Angel Beats and actually translate them officially. I can't see them doing much. And oh, Stellar at the end as well. That one will probably get Switchboard as well. But you know, that's just me speculating. Uh, the other thing that relates to them is they did a physical reprint of uh, Butterfly Poison Blood Chains, which is now out. You can now get the game on carts with a translation, with no update needed. The update's already on the cart, and that's a new little Otomi release. And you know this is a reprint, because on the box art, it has the Japanese-English text-switching logo, which is really, really cool. Uh, additionally, Butterflies, Poison, Blood Chains came out digitally on the eShop worldwide on the 11th of November. So now you can play that game, and I do want to play this one. Uh, have, if anyone's played it and can verify the translation quality, let me know, because I do want to dig into this one. Uh, when that will happen, I don't know, but, you know, it's there, and I'm glad to see more Otome games from larger companies getting a localization on Switch and consoles, hopefully. Hopefully it'll come to PC as well. And it's also nice that it's not Otomate, because as good as Otomate is, having... VNs for more companies, especially Otome, is a win-win for everyone. And more people themselves can see that, yes, Western Gaishin do indeed spend money on visual novels. And now onto the Spike Chunsoft news. Uh, you know how these companies like to talk about their, their games and get product surveys sent out to people? They basically go, hey, you bought our game, can you please give us feedback on it? And that's what Spike Chunsoft basically did for the Chaos Head Noah and Chaos Child like double pack release. And well, as well as Chaos Head Noah on Steam, which uh, was very interesting because it's quite clear that they're trying to fish for particular things. Because with these games as well, and these surveys, they do use it to collect like quantitative data so they can feed it back to the their internal teams as well as relevant third parties, in this case mages. And there were some interesting questions. The big one, which was noticed, was they specifically asked if fans were going to play their games with unofficial patches. And they specifically named Committee of Zero, which is clearly acknowledges that they're aware of the group and what they're doing. Like, 
it's basically, for those who don't know, with Killshead Noah, a lot of people were basically saying, we'll get it, but we're waiting for the patch to play it, because the official localization of Killshead Noah has a lot of issues, bad translation, bugs, and um, you can't even finish the game for Killshead Noah. It literally crashes like three lines before the true ending. You literally, you play the whole game and it gets there and it crashes. You can't actually finish the game, which is fucking ridiculous. And that's still not been fixed after a month. Yeah, the game's been out for over a month and that's still not fixed. On PC, it might have been. I believe it might have been on PC, but definitely not on Switch. Like, it's literally broken. And Chaos had Chaos Child on Switch introduced new bugs while fixing other issues, like translating maps, which we needed to get one ending, which is like... It's this kind of thing that Committee of Zero are patching out. And... It's so it's just ridiculous because it just it just reflects really badly on both Spike Chunsoft and Mages that these bugs are here, and what's likely the purpose behind this, as well as questions on the translation quality, is for Spike Chunsoft to go to Mages and say, "Look, this is what people are saying. Your localizations are shit. You need to do it better." Which is they wouldn't say it quite like that, but that's basically what it is. Other things, um, they were asking if people would play the Science Adventure series with English voices. Which is interesting as well because, like, a lot of people who ask for English voices in games, like fiction novels, they don't understand the practicalities of it that would make it really unrealistic to actually do. For a start, it will cost a ton of money getting these voice actors, like, auditioned, casted, and then to the studios to get them all recorded and prepared for these games. And you'd have to record, like, hundreds, if not thousands, of lines of text. It's a lot to do and it would take forever. And then, again, like, practicality is, like, getting people in as well, getting them actually done, allocating for time. It would cause the games to be delayed if they were getting localised. And the fact that visuals are an extremely niche medium. So, unless it's a really gameplay-heavy game like Danganronpa or Ace Attorney, VNs will almost never get dubbed because, well, people who, there's just not enough of a wider audience of people to play them. And when you talk to VN fans, especially ones that play exclusively text-based games, so like, well, Science Adventure series is basically text-based with minimal gameplay, they will prefer Japanese voices. They will play with Japanese voices. Or if 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 there's no voice acting, they'll play with no voice acting. And it just, like, you can tell people don't understand how these kind of practicalities work when they're asking for dud VNs. And I think the data is going to reflect that people just won't be interested. Especially when you consider that the anime adaptations, the science adventure games vary wildly. And some people will probably have their perceptions skewed by the bad adaptations as well. Because VN adaptations, well, animes that are adapted from VNs tend to be kind of shit. So, I'm not surprised. And the other thing is that they put Falcom in a list of games you buy games from, which is interesting alone. Because that shows they're recognising Falcom and the overlap there, not just because of people who import directly from Falcom in Japan when the games come out, but also because those games are also quite text-heavy, especially for Trails games. So if you're a fan of Falcom, you probably are a fan of Science Adventure, because with the Trails games, you are often playing just to port a core VN at times. Like, that makes a lot of sense. So that's good. And the last bit of things when we talk about the vision all today is Witch and Holy Night. Um, that is now getting a physical limited edition in the US, which is coming out in late January. 
I believe it's identical to the Japanese version because it's getting an art book as well as the game. So obviously, hopefully translated. Please don't do a P-Cube and just release an untranslated art book in the limited edition. But I doubt they will do that because it's on there. And it was actually like top 10 best-selling games when it was first at the pre-order on Amazon for games, which is ridiculous for a visual novel. But it's not surprising because it is from Type Moon, a company that were known historically to refuse to not to localize their VNs. And now here they are localizing a vision novel based on the first scenario that the writer Nazu ever produced, which is really cool. Um, I'm glad it's coming out in the West because the Switch version sold out on Amazon Japan and other sites extremely quickly when it first went up. And a lot of people didn't think it would even come to the West. And in fairness, it was reasonable to assume that because Aniplex, who is publishing it, never said anything. There is no news on Europe, which doesn't surprise me because a lot of these America-centric companies, they tend not to give a shit about the European market or want to go through the, the time and energy to actually get these things released here. So that doesn't surprise me at all that they, they aren't going to do that. I doubt they will. And I'm also glad it's not via a company like Limited Run Games either because they'll take fucking months to deliver it. So this is really good. Um... Physical games will be launching in January. The game is digital, which is coming out next month worldwide, day and date with Japan. So if you want to get it early, you can. Or wait for the physical, get it physical. And this brings me nicely onto what I've been playing because one of the things I did play was the demo for Witch on the Holy Night. This came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think. And it had the prologue chapter for the visual novel. Uh, which is basically like the very first early portion of the game and it was enough to get a good feel for what the game might be like because you had like the the first major action scene and some of the character scenes and the immersion for like the mansion and stuff like that which is really early on in the game uh i really liked it it's really intriguing um you can see the high production values with the character art and the mansion backgrounds and the music as well um, and the action scene that was shown, which is kind of toward the end of the prologue, and that was really gripping. It can get a bit grim and dark, because like if you're having action battle scenes and with demons and supernatural beings, which, well, it's about witches on the Holy Nights, and a mansion on a hill by a town, so of course there'll be grim stuff, with uh, mysterious demons getting s slaughtered by the witch. Uh, that was cool, I really liked it. Uh, I'm definitely want to play the full game. Well, partly because one is time movie and but also two because it's a good game in its own right. From what I'm seeing, um, the main criticism I have of the game is that there were some errors in the translation, like mostly just typos and formatting issues, and a uh, a couple of mistranslations. I only spotted two typos, but I think there were a couple of other things people found, which hopefully is patched out. It's not enough to break the game or destroy immersion, but I can see how it might be an issue. I do like how the game has text switching options in the Western release as well, because you can switch between Japanese, Chinese, and English texts, which is really cool. I think that is really cool that the ends are doing that. Uh, Prototype were doing it routinely for their releases. Uh, Dramatic Create, Stroke Cuny X have done it for some of theirs, and other companies too, like Food Girls. Uh, but with this, it's like, yeah, it's really cool to see Type Moon doing it. And I think that 
if they were to release like, other games in the future, like Fate Stay Night, for example, they'll do it for that as well. As well as the both parts of the Tsukihime remake, if the second part is ever done. But that's really cool to see. Um, I'm, I definitely want to play it, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, other big release I played that's come out very recently is Harvest Stella. So this is, well, one of the new Square Enix releases from this autumn. They have like a huge train of releases coming out. Some of them better than others. No literal train wrecks, but there were some great games as well. Uh, from what I've seen. We've still got some to come, like Dragon Quest Treasures, but the one I picked up now, which is I think is going to go under the radar, is Half a Stellar. Uh, Square Enix barely promoted this game. It's basically, it just sort of happened. They they sent out codes to reviewers late, so reviews only just came out last week for the game. Um, so, from what I understand, from what people thought before I picked up, it was positive. From like the positive word of mouth, from both critics and a lot of like gamers, like cozy gamers, because it is considered a cozy game. Uh, Good-looking gameplay, and the fact that it's a first screen it's game to have a non-binary gender option. So, really cool trans inclusion there. Pissing off the far right, which is really good as well. If you're far right, why the fuck are you watching this, by the way? And it's really cool to have that. And that was really interesting, so I picked it up. Uh, I said I've been really enjoying it. Uh, it's really Moorish and addicting, especially when it comes to like combining the RPG gameplay with the farming sim. It's it's more of an RPG. Like you've got like Rune Factory that's like 50-50 RPG versus like farming sim and cozy relaxing content. Whereas with whereas with Harvestella, it is more like 70-30, I think. The 30s being like the farming and some aspects of the side quests, whereas the 70s like the gameplay, like the main story. You've got actual like story dungeons with action RPG battles against enemies, but some of these incorporate side quests too. Like if you played an RPG, you'll know some of the quests involve like going out and defeating monsters or collecting items. And yeah, there's there'll be quests like that where you go out into the the areas and you do those kind of things, which is really cool. Uh but yeah, there's actual story with characters, uh all original, it's really cool. Um, the action RPG gameplay is very simple. It's compared to mana, but I get East vibes as well. Uh, the world is great, there's so much variety, a relaxing atmosphere with great characters and really deep backstories. Uh, in many ways, the, the, the atmosphere reminds me of both Etune Odyssey and Xenoblade. Because with Xenoblade, in terms of what I recognise from there, there was a dungeon called the Nord Step, which um, at one point had this huge arc that goes over it, and it reminded me so much of Gaia Plain. And with the Etune Odyssey comparison, there's, well, one of the dungeons, which is the um, things like the the canyon, the autumn canyon, and that's basically reminded me so much of the uh, the Auburn Thicket from Etrionity 2, and it's really cool to have these, like, cool references, and the art, the visual style's amazing, like, the colours and lights and vibrance that basically are almost all times in the game is just, like, especially in the dungeons and, like, at night as well, it looks so cool, and I just think it's just amazing, and I think that is just, like, a huge highlight for me um and for characters the, the stories can be quite deep as well like the stories can be surprisingly tragic like you've got like a a, a, a friendship group and then one of them move away and you've got to kind of like have the arc and deal with that and the other one's like the one person you have to investigate like a house that's apparently haunted and it turns out that the uh, it is someone living there because she's keeping house clean for 
like her partner who went out and hasn't come back and then you've got to like help this person with that because they're quite lonely and then like because you're mistaken for a burglar as well you have to make it up to them and then later on you've got things like that and it can be quite deep and then there's like it's surprisingly deep and can be quite sad at times but nothing that leads into really like triggering territory and it's also quite cute as well like there's other scenes where you can see like kids going to an orphanage and you get to like watch them like have a story time with the the owner of the orphanage and it's really cute and there's just little moments like that as well and it's just so cool and I think it's great and I I think it will be hidden gem because again like gone under the radar I think a lot of people will just overlook it because of the time of year it's come out which is a huge shame and the fact a lot of people think it's a, just a farming sim, and yeah, there's definitely a farming component. Pretty much every day you go out and water your plants, plant new seeds, uh, check on your animals, and then you can move straight on to the RPG gameplay, as well as the side quests, which is really cool, and managing your relationships with the characters you meet and your party members, which is really, really cool. Um, a couple of flaws I've noticed. Well, actually, no, I'm going to come on to the flaws in a sec. I forgot to talk about the music, and I love the music. Music's also fantastic. I think it's great. I wish it had a physical soundtrack because it, it's got a digital one that came out day and date, but no physical. But I hope there is a physical eventually because it's a really good soundtrack. Love it. And now for the floor bit, which I uh, was trying to do before, but then forgot because of the music bit. Um, the first thing is that the opening hours are a bit slow. Like I expect it to be a bit slow because from what I understand with lots of like farming sim games, Especially in recent years, like with the new Story of Seasons games, they're often quite slow and handholdy for new players, and that's kind of the vibe I got as well when playing the uh, Harvestella, which is fine. I expected it. It is a flaw though, so I'm putting it there. And the other thing with like overall, the gameplay does open up. Like it opens up a lot after like the first like few days, which is really good. Uh, other thing is that he's mostly unvoiced. Like, if we talk about having English and Japanese audio practice, it's like, it doesn't exist like, almost all the time. Like, there's like hellos and goodbyes kind of thing. But aside from that, the dub is so infrequent, it just doesn't, it basically doesn't exist. It may as well just not have been done. It was likely just done with that minimal dubbing just so retailers would accept it because. There are many retailers that just won't accept undubbed games, and this was an issue historically, which is why in the past you'd get English dubs, and sometimes the Japanese dub would be taken out altogether, especially in the US, because retailers were like, if this doesn't have an English dub, we're not going to take it. And that's not an issue anymore, but I do think if you're going to have a game undubbed, or we're going to dub a game, at least partially dub the major cutscenes. Like, don't just have it be entirely, like, undubbed is an accessibility issue as well yeah and finally uh, i'm going to talk briefly about higurashi when they cry chapter two because that's something else i've been playing and uh yeah compared to chapter one it's definitely getting better it is getting more scary and suspenseful and it's got a really like deep lore that's slowly but surely been developed which i thought was really cool but it's just slowly starting to expand and not going to discuss all the characters more, but like, it's, I don't want to go into spoilers, it's a thing, but it's, it's just kind of like, I really like how it's a lot more deeper and a lot better and also paced better than I expected. I think it's really, 
it's definitely, I can see why a lot of people love it, basically, but obviously I'm nowhere near the end. I'm not even done the Corey arcs yet, but when I'm done them all, I might make a video on it that actually does go into spoilers a bit, because I think it might be interesting to talk about in a bit more detail. But I'm going to decide on that if, well, if and when I get to that point and I've finished it. But yeah, um, just briefly mention that because I'm setting myself a goal where I try to get one chapter finished every two weeks so I can talk about it on the episode. And so far I'm kind of sticking to it. I'm hoping I can keep staying and stick at it. So hopefully by the end of the year I'll have chapter four done at the very least, which is basically the question arcs of the Higurashi series. But you know, take it from there. And with that said, I'm now going to finish today's episode. Uh, please like and commenting, subscribing, and showing support for Miller's Game Room in other ways. Like five-star reviews, etc. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you in a couple of weeks with hopefully more to discuss. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye.